Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you that the new book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make, is going to be available this Hanukkah. It's been very, very widely received. We sent out about a thousand pre-publication copies to marriage therapists, people who work with young couples, and the response has been really, truly amazing. Please look for it at the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, or your local Jewish bookstore. We discussed earlier, really, the, the first parak of the Derech Hashem deals with emuna, understanding Hashem on whatever level we can, and really trying to relate to Hashem um, on at least somewhat of a, an understandable level, being able to relate to Hashem in some, some manner, form, and fashion. Now, <clears throat> we pointed out that really emuna is based, there are three pillars to emuna. The first pillar is the Mesorah, in the fact that three million Jews were at the base of Sinai and heard Hashem say, Anoch Hashem Lokecha. The second is Bechina, and Bechina means being able to delve into the wisdom of the world, seeing the sophistication, seeing the complexity, and if this is the creation, what does it tell me about my Creator? And the third is an intuitive sense. An intuitive sense, I began under the Kisei covered. I was put into this body, and there are things that intuitively and instinctively I know. Okay. Now, unless... Yeah. Two questions, Rebbe. Rebbe keeps calling it intuitive without a Hebrew phrase. What is the, what is the Hebrew word for that third? So, it's Yudhiya, it's knowledge. It's um, intuitive knowledge. In other words, things that you... So, Yudhiya. Right, Yudhiya. In other words, meaning if it weren't for the blockages of physicality, or if it weren't for my agenda, if it weren't for my desires, issues, uh, all of the, well, I can't admit to it because I don't want to. If it weren't for all of that, I would see everything clearly. So <clears throat> that's, the, uh, that's the level of, uh, of Yudhiya, of knowledge. Just also, in, the word Bechina, one time Rev used the word Chakira. Is there a difference between Okay, it's a good question. Bechina and, okay, so Chakira and Bechina mean almost the same thing. Bochein is to test, to discern, to, to sort of delve into, to understand. Chakira is a very similar word. To be choker is to, um, you do that with drish of a chakira, and you, you bring an adam, you, you, you ask them questions from this angle and that angle, that angle, this angle, to, to discern whether they're telling the truth. So it's two fra- phrases. The Chavazalas usually use the word um, bechina. Bechina meaning to discern, to look into the, the, the world, to look into nature, to look into the wild kingdom, to study life, and to see Hashem. Okay, so now last week we began discussing the other topic that um, that Hashem has to be. That it can't be that Hashem just created the world and left, but that Hashem has to be, and that at any given time Hashem is Mukhrach, is, is absolutely has to be. And we explained that there were two levels to that, physical and metaphysical. The first physical level is, if you look at a world with such complexity and you see so many harmonious systems, there has to be someone running it. You don't leave a business and expect it to remain. You, don't, you go to the Butterfly Conservatory and you see they can't even keep one species. Forget 10 million species. They can't keep one species alive in its ecosystem. <clears throat> and you begin to realize that there's someone making sure that things happen. Um, we discussed rain. Mashivaruach, Mori Ragashim is a tremendous... That's in Gvuras of Shorn Esrei, right? We say that in the beginning of Shorn Esrei because that refers to the Gvura, the might of Hashem. Gvura refers to the 
the majesty, the might, the power of Hashem, because to bring the rain requires global shifts. It means there are winds that transfer all around the globe, the, and the Pacific, and the, the, when the evaporation begins and the clouds form, and they have to be taken around the globe. And we went through the whole process, and my wife said it was too long and boring, so I won't discuss that again. But believe me, it's quite... Yeah. I thought it was I, I, I did also. I did too. You heard it before. It's not fair. Okay, but in any case, so that was Okay, so now, um, and one more step also. We mentioned the Rambam. The Rambam gives us a thought experiment. He says, imagine for a moment that Hashem wasn't. If you could imagine for a moment that Hashem didn't exist, explains the Rambam, then nothing would exist. And that's because Hashem's relationship to physicality. And this is probably the biggest mistake we make about physical creation. We look at creation as if we are creative. I take two pieces of wood, I take some nails, I bang it together. Oh, I created something. I created nothing. I took things in existence, I shuffled them around, I created nothing. Creation, a yeshmi ayin creation from absolute absence of anything to create something is physically impossible. If I have sand, I can bake bricks. If I have molecules, I can make sand. If I have quarks, I can make atoms, I can make molecules. But if there's absence of physicality, there's absolute nothing, there's nothing there, you can't from nothing create something. And if you dwell on this point, you'll quickly see that physical creation, a yeshmiyan creation, is physically impossible. And then you begin to understand Hashem's relationship to everything in the world. And that is much like I to the seagull in the dream. Remember the mushal, um, it's a cold February night, I close my eyes, I'm dreaming, I see the white sand, I see the ocean blue, I see the cloudless sky, one lone seagull gently wafting across the sky, the bus comes splash, gone is the sand, gone is the ocean blue, gone is the seagull, I'm the dreamer, as long as I think about the dream, as long as I imagine the, the seagull, it exists, the minute I stop thinking about it, it ceases to exist, that's Hashem's relationship to everything in creation. Hashem is the Mishavah, the one who created and keeps it in existence. Because you see, again, a physical creation from something doesn't require constant infusion of strength. But Hashem took from absolute nothing, created something that requires constant infusion of energy, constantly keeping it there. Um, and if you don't understand that, um, it's good. Review last week's year. Anybody understand why that has to be? Why it has to be that from absolute absence of anything to create something, there has to be something there keeping it there at any moment. Otherwise it wouldn't exist. It would would cease to exist. In other words, meaning it's not... I think we'll understand this a little bit better when we we touch on this week, when we get involved in in what we're going to do this session. Hashem is not capable of making something and saying, stay there? No. Okay. I feel like every blade of grass has a malach that keeps it alive. Well, every blade of grass has a malach that directs it and tells it what to do. But Hashem created and maintained everything in creation every moment, including that malach. And if for a split second Hashem would cease infusing energy, everything, everything would cease to exist. I'll tell you what, when we get into this week's session, um, I think we'll understand this a little bit better. So let's begin this week's session. 
Um, and a warning ahead of time. Ladies, this is deep. Um, this week and next week, I don't know if you'll we'll return next week after tonight, but I'm t- letting you know ahead of time. This is like one of those trailer warnings. Warning, this is not, this is deep. Uh, I, I think so. We have <coughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, let's prepare to go under, and I hope we uh, end up back. There are times when when you learn the Derech Hashem and you hope you resubmerge. Okay, anyway. Otsar Sheda, so we're up to uh, Dalit over here. Otsar Sheda, additionally, you have to know, Shem Motzei Azei Yisbarach, Shemo, this creation, Hashem, Hine Mitzelzum, Mitzelzum Mukhroch, Shev Shadar It's impossible for Hashem not to be. So that was last week's session. Today we're going to start over here. He also built the Nitla Ba'acher, that Hashem is not dependent on anyone else. Otsar Sheda, additionally, you have to know, that Hashem's existence in a Tolib as well, so is not dependent on anyone else, Klal, whatsoever, <coughs> but rather on His own. He is the one who forces the Metzias to be. He's the one who is the maintainer of everything. He's not at all dependent on anyone else, completely the one who causes everything to be. <coughs> this is, again, one of the things that we know by Kabbalah through the Mesorah, and can be proven with understanding. By understanding nature. It's impossible. That it's impossible that not be one creator who is outside, not bound by, not limited by anything in nature. Its rules and its, um, and its parameters. Okay, so this is the concept that Hashem is not dependent on anything else. Completely independent. He's the one who <coughs> caused everything to be created, keeps everything created, and He's not at all dependent on anything else. Okay. Ready? How do we know this? How do we understand this? Here we go. The Cholos Vovos presents us with a very interesting question in Shar HaBechina, by the way. He says as follows. <coughs> Did you create yourself? Did you create yourself? So he says, I'll prove to you that you did not create yourself. Why? Let's imagine you decide, I created myself. So let's think about it. Before I created myself, I had to exist. If I existed, I didn't have to create myself. And if I didn't exist before I created myself, then how could I create myself? has to be, you're created. One more time. If I existed before I created myself, so I could create myself, but I don't need to create myself, because I exist already. And if I didn't exist before I created myself, how could I create myself? I didn't exist. So you see, logic demands that you are a creation and not a creator. Can we be both? Again, did you exist before you created yourself? No, but we're not to self-create, we create others. Oh, may, oh, that's another issue. But did you create yourself? No. Good. That's the question. The Chavaz says, if you ever wondered, did you create yourself? The answer is it's philosophically impossible. Whoever wanted that? Yeah, so, everyone. Okay, now, there are... Yeah, certainly Paro claimed it to be true. Ani Adon Olam, I created the Nile, I created myself. <laughs> um, and philosophically, you know, I don't... Listen, we don't spend much time in this, but apparently philosophically it's, it's considered a reasonable question. Um, there are many times that I spent in the Chavaz of Olves, especially in Shara Bechina, when I said to myself, uh, I don't know who asks these questions, but 
somebody must be very, very bright. Like Darwinism <coughs> isn't it that we created ourselves. Darwinism is that we come yeah, from. Yeah, right. That's a, all right. Popular now, man doesn't think much, so the, it's easy to fool to get caught up in foolish stuff. Once upon a time, there were actually deep philosophers, and, and you know, and anyway, this was a question. But, and, but they still are very intelligent people, and what do atheists think about this? How did they explain that away? So um, we could discuss it at some point. The, the rule of atheists are that if you don't want to believe, nothing in God's world will make you believe. You could stare at the ball of the sun and deny its existence. That's to allow for Bechira, Hashem gave us that capacity. Two very, this is a plug for two very interesting shrews I just said, um, tools for Amuna. They're, they're on Torah Anytime or on the website, part one and part two. If, you wanna, if you're curious, tools for Amuna. I deal with that issue extensively. Three questions to ask your local atheist. Some nice, there was some fun stuff there. Okay, but here we go. Again, did you create yourself? <clears throat> Again, it's impossible. Why? Because if you existed before you created yourself, you didn't have to create yourself. And if you didn't exist, then how could you create yourself? So far, so good, right? Okay, now let's take that very same question and apply it one level deeper. Before Hashem created the physical world, before Hashem created the world, <coughs> did it exist? No. So, if it existed, <coughs> Hashem didn't have to create it. So, <coughs> meaning to say, before Hashem created anything, there was nothing, and nothing, <coughs> Hashem existed when nothing existed. Let's go through it one more time. Again. Before Hashem created the, anything in existence, did anything exist? So, so if anything existed, Hashem didn't have to create it. Right? Hashem wouldn't have had to create it. So what that means by definition is that... I'm sorry? So Hashem... So that's the second step. I mean, what did Hashem create first? The, 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 you know, the sun or the moon? You know, interesting questions. But the point is... And before Hashem created anything, nothing existed. And that means, what that means in plain, simple language is that Hashem existed when nothing in existence existed. What does that mean? It means that anything that I know, Hashem is not limited by. Anything that I relate to, Hashem existed before it existed. So for instance, if there's physical properties, if there's light, if there's time, if there's weight, if there's density... Hashem existed before any of that existed. Hashem is not dependent on any of that for its for His existence. Hashem existed before anything else. And what that means in plain simple language is as follows. How tall is Hashem? Why? Because before anything existed, Hashem existed. Total and complete. Hashem was complete. Hashem isn't dependent on anything. Before anything existed, Hashem existed. So that means if I ask you how tall Hashem is, the answer is there's no measure for how tall Hashem is. How heavy is Hashem? Again, Hashem is outside any parameters, any physical density, weight. <coughs> okay, so those words mean, and it's important to understand what that means. <coughs> Imagine that before anything that physical exists, anything even spiritual exists, Hashem existed. Meaning Hashem is not dependent on anything, isn't defined by anything, isn't limited by anything, and therefore is physically impossible for us to understand. 
So far, so bad? Okay. So, if I ask you how tall is Hashem, Hashem is beyond all tall. If you can't define, then you can't really ask those questions. Or if you do, you don't have an answer. Okay, so we're going to go there in a minute. <clears throat> so, how tall is Hashem? There's no measurement. How heavy is Hashem? No measurement. How strong is Hashem? No measurement. How old is Hashem? <clears throat> no measurement. Here's the next part. How smart is Hashem? No measurement. No measurement. How, what's Hashem's IQ? 180, 200, 2000, 2500? It's irrelevant. And this question, if you want to know why this is relevant, it's because I believe that this is one of the biggest Yisotos that can help us for so many issues. We discussed in previous sessions what are the two principles that a Jew has to have, the basics of Bitochan. All of Bitochan is based on two principles. Anyone remember? Number one, Hashem loves me more than I love me. As much as I want what's good for me, Hashem wants it more. As much as I want what's best, Hashem wants it more. As much as I want everything for me, Hashem wants it more. Hashem loves me more than I love me. And that principle is not very hard to attain, not very hard to get. One of the best exercises, watch a young mother with her infant, and you'll see the maternal instinct. She'll give up her life for the baby. She'll do anything for the baby. Where does that come from? She didn't wake up and say, what a fine baby. I think I'll dedicate my life to this baby. There's an instinct. There's just a, a maternal instinct. And the Chavaz Lovas explains that's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the love that Hashem has for any one of His creations. And the idea that Hashem loves me more than I love me isn't that difficult. It's the second concept that gives us all the trouble. The second concept is... Hashem knows what's best for me better than I do. Hashem knows better than I what's my best. 80% of our Muna problems, 80% of our issues, 80% of our complaints stem from this problem. Hashem, why are you messing me up? I need this. This is what's best. I need to marry that woman. I need to get that job. I need to get my kid in that class. Hashem, Kaylee, Kaylee, Lama Zavtani, Hashem, why... The idea that maybe it's not for my best never seems to cross my mind. So I spend untold amount of energy and effort convincing Hashem why it's for the best, why it has to be. And I get into all kinds. I broker deals with Hashem. I'll learn Daf Yomi. I'll daven, but I'll give stucco, all kinds of things. So I think that whenever you come to an issue like um, anything dealing with emuna, would be tochen, with why this happened, why didn't this happen. At that point, you have to say to yourself, okay, maybe it's true that Hashem knows better than I what's my best. But who's to say it's true? After all, who's to say Hashem is smarter than me? (laughs) Get the joke? If you think I'm funny, I'm being very serious. If you really pay attention to your inner thoughts, how many times do we get into the situation where, Hashem, why you... Hashem, why don't... I need this. You know it's my best. Hashem, why don't you... And knowing that Hashem is not just smarter than me, but that Hashem is limitless, boundless, there's no IQ, there's no limits, there's no, in other words, meaning, very simply, there are a few people at this table here, right? What are you thinking? Well, whatever you're thinking, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I cannot pay attention, I can barely pay attention to what I'm thinking. Understand that Hashem reads through you like a book, that Hashem simultaneously is paying attention to everyone's thoughts, everyone's understanding 
that Hashem is the platform for all thoughts. We're going to get involved in that next week, what that means. <clears throat> but that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. Right? When I'm davening. Hashem, let the words of my mouth find favor in your eyes. The hegyon libi, and the thoughts of my heart. I don't need to think out, I don't need to speak out my words for Hashem to hear them. The thoughts in my heart, <clears throat> Hashem hears them, Hashem knows them as I think them, probably even before I think them. But here's the point. As I think my thoughts, <clears throat> you're standing next to me, dominating, you're thinking your thoughts. That person thinking their thoughts, that person thinking that person. 200 people in this shul, <clears throat> 200 shuls in a city, hundreds of cities, an entire globe, 7.5 billion people simultaneously paying attention, <clears throat> observing, constantly there, vigilant and aware of 7.5 billion people's interplay and what everything means to it's a little bit above human capacity to relate to, to understand in, in any sense. Um, <clears throat> would you like a muscle to how smart Hashem is? This may sound funny, but I, I think it's an important muscle. Oliver Sacks was, um, was a physician, and he was a, a brilliant psychiatrist. He wrote quite a number of books. In one of his books, he describes a man who suffered a trauma to the brain, and he lost not just his vision... He lost his memory of vision. He lost the understanding of what vision was. Typically, if a person is blind, they still have memories of what they saw throughout their lifetime. So if a person loses sight at 45, he can remember the blocks he walked on when he was a kid, and he can remember what his house looked like, and he can remember people's faces. He has very clear visual memories. He no longer can see things, but he has pictures in his mind of what various things do. In any case... This person lost his sight, but didn't just lose his sight. He lost his entire visual memory, but more than that, he lost the understanding of what vision was. When you said to him, I saw something, what do you mean? Well, well, I, I looked down the block and I, I see something. What do you mean you looked down? What? The, the idea of seeing, the whole concept of vision was that part of that cortex in the brain was damaged, and he lost all understanding of it. Okay. Now, imagine you have a man who not only is blind, not only lost all visual memory, but doesn't understand sight. And you're standing in a field with him, and you say to him, watch out, there's a lion coming. How can you know there's a lion? I see him. What do you mean you see him? I see him three miles down. There's a lion. I could see it. What do you mean you see it? You're not there. How could you? You don't hear him. How could you know that there's a lion? I'm telling you there's a lion coming. And he's going to say, no, you don't. Yes, I do. You better get out of the way, fella. Now, after a while, he realizes that I have something that he doesn't have. I have vision. I have an ability to see things that he not only can't see, that he completely, utterly, totally does not understand or recognize. But clearly, I have these gifts of somehow knowing things that are far removed, far away, and somehow it is that I know them, even though he doesn't even understand how it's possible to know them. That's a decent, a decent muscle to our understanding versus Hashem. <clears throat> Meaning, we're not just blind. We don't even understand what real intelligence means. We don't understand the wisdom of Hashem. Meaning to say... Remember we discussed this issue, how does Hashem know the future? And the answer is, Hashem doesn't know what you're going to do. 
Hashem knows what you did before you did it because Hashem's not bound by time. Meaning, it's not that Hashem is smart. It's not that Hashem, you know, my, my wife likes to say it, you know, if you put a, a candy in front of a baby, you know the baby's going to go to the candy. So since Hashem is so smart, so <clears throat> therefore um, He knows what you're going to do before you do it. That is not Yediyah. The Rambam defines Yediyah as Hashem's knowledge. Hashem knows factually, with absolute veracity, <clears throat> what you did in the future. Since Hashem is not limited by time, Hashem is in the future and in the past at the same moment, He knows factually what it is that you're going to do, because He's not limited by time, so He knows what you did before you did it. But it's, it's a kind of thing that we human beings... I don't not limited by time. What, what do you mean not limited? You're in, in forward in time and back in time. We live in an incredibly linear progression of time. We're one minute, the second minute, the third minute, fourth minute, an hour ago, a week ago. And Hashem isn't limited by that. We don't even know what it means that Hashem isn't limited by that. And again, the muscle is, if you have a guy who's blind, but not just blind, doesn't understand sight, he can't understand. How is it possible that, that you can know something three miles away and know it absolutely factually when it's not, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and I think it's a good muscle for us to sort of get an understanding of Hashem's knowledge, Hashem's understanding, well beyond anything we can envision, anything we can understand, total, complete idea, um, absolute knowledge at, at all times. Um, so again, why is this relevant? It's relevant the next time your kid breaks the foot, or something bad happens. Hashem, why? At that point, you're supposed to say, I get it. Hashem, you love me more than I love me. And Hashem, you know better than I what's for my best. Meaning, I don't see this. I don't get it. But Hashem, your vision is <coughs> far broader, far wider, <coughs> far beyond my capacity to even... Re- I-, I don't even have the functionality to understand the way that you know things, but I get it, I'm outclassed. Okay, so so far, so good? Okay, so this is one important application of this concept. And again, this is the concept that Hashem is not dependent on anything. Hashem is completely beyond anything. Hashem is completely not dependent on anything. Now, one of the points that um, you mentioned was the fact that, therefore, it's difficult for us to relate to Hashem in any way. And it's not that it's difficult for us to relate to Hashem, it's impossible for us to relate to Hashem in any way. Because any measurement does not apply to Hashem. If I tell you Hashem is a gibor, it's a lie. Hashem is mighty, it's not true. Hashem is powerful, it's not true. Because, you see, anything we relate to, we relate to a scale of measure based on our knowledge, based on our frame of reference. Tall or short, fat or skinny, heavy or light. None of those apply to Hashem. But we do say... We do it in the center. Ah. We say that. And throughout the Chumash, you'll see over and over, more than that, Hashem acted b'charon af. Hashem acted with... Rachamim Hashem, Racham v'chanun. So what's, what's going on? But that is said, we use our own understanding to relate to... Okay, so, so there's something called the Shovra Ozen, meaning, let's start this way. Hashem acts with Midos. Hashem is not limited by Midos. Hashem is not um, defined by Midos. In other words, I can make you lose your temper. I cannot make Hashem lose his temper. As a matter of fact, let me, you know what, uh, I'll share with you a very interesting. I was once speaking about Amuna, and if you know that one of the Shmuzim, there, there are four levels to basic Amuna. 
Um, the third level is what? Anyone remember? First is knowing Hashem created the world. Second, knowing Hashem runs a big picture issues life. Third is knowing that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking. Hashem reads through me like a book. Okay. In any case, I was speaking at a certain community, and I went through the four levels of Amunah, the third being that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them, and a woman came over to me after I was finished, and she was very, very troubled. And she said, Rabbi, that's terrible. I said, what's terrible? That's terrible what you said. What did I say? That Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking. That's, that's horrible. That's horrific. And she's really, like, really very clearly not, not happy. Um, in any case, her husband was there. And her husband explained to me why she had a problem with that. Apparently, <clears throat> she was brought up by an abusive father. And the fact that someone was so close that actually, like, knew her thoughts as she's thinking, it was just like, <clears throat> made her so uncomfortable that, that, that she just, like, uh, she couldn't deal with it. So I said, <clears throat> I, I understand why, at least now, you're so uncomfortable. And I said to her, I think what you're doing is you're clothing God in human character traits. You're putting human traits onto Hashem. And therefore, you're having difficulty with this concept. But you have to know <clears throat> that you can't apply human limitations to Hashem. I wasn't getting too far, so I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I have three questions. I think if we deal with these three questions, I think we're going to see <clears throat> that there's nothing to worry about. I said, question number, number one is as follows. Before you were created, what great act did you do that Hashem said, ah, you're the kind of person I should create? Right? What did you do that was really, really spectacular and then Hashem said, you're a person who's worthy to be created? The answer is nothing, because before you existed, you couldn't have done anything because you didn't exist. But and Hashem I said, knows, and that's... Hashem knows what you did because you did, so you could still have been created because there is a chesed that you do, because to Hashem that chesed is done. Mm-hmm. The, the devil just quotes the scriptures. <laughs> so, but if you apply the logic, you realize that if you, Hashem only knows what you're going to do because Hashem is not limited by time. But that's because Hashem knows what you're going to do before you did it. But if Hashem didn't create you, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's cheating. That's cheating. No, because no, that's only if Hashem decided to create you. Hmm? If Hashem decided to create you, then Hashem knows that you will be created. But until Hashem decides to create you, you are not. But every neshama has a tafket that had to come. Well, that's the tafket. after Hashem created the neshama. So there's no limitations, but Hashem can actually make creations. He can make decisions. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. right. So again, before you created, what did you do to make it worthy for you to be created? No, but Hashem, the answer but is. But Hashem knows. Even you're saying Hashem has to decide I should be created. So right. You're saying then the concept of me being created isn't there if Hashem didn't decide. So right. that puts a limitation on a Kaddish Baruch Hu's knowledge because it's as if a Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't know I'm going to be created. <coughs> okay. So then we have a bigger existential crisis. <laughs> okay. If you want to talk about existential crises. Um, here is one of those existential crises, and I think we may have discussed it, but here it is. Can Hashem make a rock that Hashem can't pick up? No. Well, one second. If Hashem cannot make a rock that Hashem can't pick up, oh, Hashem can't do something. Oh, so you mean Hashem can make a rock that He can't pick up, then He can't do something, can't pick it up. Oh, I slugged you up. Uh, you know the Again, can Hashem make a rock that He can't pick up? If Hashem can make a rock that He can't pick up, then He can't pick up the rock. 
And if Hashem can't make a rock that he can't pick up, then Hashem can't do something, can't make a rock that he can't pick up. Uh, proves, okay, you know what it proves? It proves I don't understand the concept of kol yochol. And I'll explain to you what I mean. <clears throat> kol yochol means Hashem can do anything that he wants because Hashem is the mishava, the one who keeps everything in existence. So for instance, <clears throat> in the mushal of the seagull, I'm the dreamer and I dream the seagull to be. If I decide the seagull is going to fly east, the seagull cannot say, uh-uh, buddy, I'm going west. What do you mean, you're going west? I said east. No, I'm going west. Meaning, <clears throat> nothing in my dream can violate my will because I'm the dreamer. I'm keeping everything in existence. I'm keeping it. Koyachal means there's nothing in creation that could violate Hashem's will. Hashem could do anything that Hashem wants in creation because Hashem is the Messiah, the one who keeps it in, in existence. But if you find me things that Hashem made rules in this creation that for instance you can't have square triangles okay Hashem made that rule could Hashem have created a world where there could be square triangles I don't know maybe yeah maybe no but the concept of of kol yochol of omnipotence does not mean that Hashem can do everything that you could envision or imagine it means that there's no in fact the Rishon by the way you know why this is very important when you say the word Elohim what does that mean? Baal HaKochos Kulam energy source of all creation who are called Yochel Hashem can do everything when you say the words Elohim you're supposed to think Hashem is the one who created and maintains everything and He can do anything He wants but that doesn't mean He can make square triangles it doesn't mean He can make rocks or can't make rocks it means that there's nothing in creation that can violate the will of Hashem because Hashem is keeping everything in existence every moment so there's nothing that can go against His will if Hashem ever got angry at someone Hashem wouldn't have to bring a nuclear holocaust Hashem would just cease infusing energy into that person or that particle and it, it would cease to be so Kol Yochum means that Hashem can do anything because He's the Mishabe meaning you know, in very simple terms um, let's say I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to violate Hashem's will so what that means is, at the very moment that Hashem is keeping me in existence, keeping my skin, keeping my bones, keeping my hands, keeping me in existence, I take that hand and I slap Hashem in the face. Now, if Hashem decided that that's not going to happen, my hand would cease to exist. My arm, me, I would cease to exist. Kol Yochum means there's nothing that could violate the will of Hashem, because Hashem is the, uh, like I to the, I'm the dreamer, I'm the one who keeps the dream in existence. Hashem keeps everything in existence. So, again, let's go back to the question. <laughs> I'm glad she didn't ask that question. I said, the three questions, I, I say, there's one, so the three questions you have to deal with. Question number one is, before you created, what did you do that made it worthy for Hashem to create you? And the answer is nothing, because before you existed, there was nothing you could have done because you didn't exist. And I said, that's a problem, we'll get back to it after. And I said, that's the first you sowed, you have to understand. Hashem did not create you because you're good, because you're worthy, because you're deserving. Hashem created you for one reason. Hashem is the native, Hashem is the giver, Hashem wants to benefit others. And Hashem created you for one reason and one reason only, to give of His good to you. Not because you're good, not because you're worthy, not because you're deserving, but only because Hashem is the native. Okay, that was question one. We got past that question. Question two, I said to her, how much patience does Hashem have? Okay, I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and a high school Rebbe has to have a lot, a lot, a lot of patience. I mean, a lot of patience. There are a few 
populations in the world that will test your patience as teenage boys. I got to tell you, it don't get, it, to my knowledge, it don't get worse. Maybe prison inmates, I don't know, but pretty, pretty close up there. So if you want to be a high school rabbi, I suggest you have a lot of patience. So some people have a lot of patience, some people have a little patience. How much patience does Hashem have? What's the answer? The amount of a high school rabbi. The amount is it doesn't apply. Patience is a limitation of a human being. I have a little bit, a lot of it, I work and I have more, but all those within the framework of a human, the concept doesn't apply to Hashem. There's no limit to Hashem. Hashem doesn't have like a lot, a lot, a, lot, a ton of patience, and the whole concept doesn't apply. Okay, and now we're ready for question number three. This one you'll, I think you'll hear. Question number three is, what could you do to get Hashem angry? Nothing. Let's say you decided, that's it, Hashem, I've had it. I'm going to get you mad, but I mean mad. I'm going to really fix you. And you do the worst thing you can imagine to get Hashem really, really angry. What could you do to make Hashem angry? Okay, so let's think about it for a minute. Number one, how important are you? Well, let's look at it. You're a person among seven and a half billion people on this globe. One out of seven and a half billion. This planet is one of eight or nine, depending on who's counting, in our local solar system, which is one of a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is just one of 100 billion galaxies in the 13 billion light years of ever-expanding space. Hashem is Makom, Hashem is the place. Hashem is not just the one who created everything. Hashem keeps everything in existence. If you find anything anywhere in creation, Hashem is there keeping it. That means throughout the 13 billion light years of expanse, Hashem is there at Pluto and Saturn, the cosmos, throughout it all. And there you are in where, oh, the Milky Way galaxy. Let me see, oh, yeah, yeah, the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, I see it over here. Oh, and in the Milky Way galaxy, there's a, there's a solar system. Oh, yeah, yeah, there. And oh, there's a planet. Yeah, Earth, yeah, there. Oh, and there's seven billion people. I see you. I see you. Meaning, you're not exactly on the level of Hashem. You're not exactly, you know, I get angry with you because you're on my level. How dare you, ya chutzpah. A mother doesn't get angry with a six-year-old. You may lose patience, may, but you don't get angry. You, you, you spit out your peas. You, you get angry with someone on your level. We're, like the difference between us and Hashem is like so gargantuan. I, I just it, it blows my mind when people, you know, have these complaints. They point fingers at Hashem. How dare you? Like, nah, you it, like it, you know, the malachim would tremble. The malachim would tremble. All right, anyway, number one, you're not going to get Hashem angry because you're just not that important. But much more than that. Why are my thoughts important? <laughs> one second, we'll get to that in a minute. But much more than that, philosophically, it's absurd. You see, <clears throat> the idea of Hashem getting angry is taking human traits and trying to adorn them onto Hashem. It's called anthropomorphism. When you take human traits and put it onto non-human entities... Um, you know, the wind howled in anger. It was a mighty rock that glared out. Rocks don't, aren't mighty, they don't glare. And angry, angry winds don't exist. When you take human traits and put them onto non-human entities, you, you know, it makes good Disney movies, but it's not, not very accurate. And when you take human traits and apply them to Hashem, you just, you, you get silly, because Hashem doesn't... Hashem isn't limited by anger. Hashem isn't limited by any midah. Hashem isn't um, defined by any midah. Now, when the Torah says, Bacharon af, that means Hashem acts with midos so that we can relate to Hashem. 
Hashem acts with Rachamim so that we can relate to Hashem. Hashem acts with Din so that we can relate to Hashem. Hashem interacts in the world in a manner that we can relate to Hashem, we can experience Hashem so that we can <coughs> recognize Hashem, we can serve Hashem, we can grow ultimately for our betterment. But the point is, those are all things that Hashem wears that are not Hashem. Hashem wears them like a mask, like a... Um, it's like a, I don't say a play, but it's like, it's, it's a, Hashem acts in that manner, but, by the way, anyone here a parent? Not a parent, but a, are you a parent? If you're a parent, you know that the right way to act with your child is what's called kasponim. Inside, I'm calm as a cucumber. I'm pretending on the outside to be angry. Yeah, right. But that's how you're supposed to do it. That's the right way to do it. You act on the outside as if you're angry, even on inside. And by the way, with little kids, sometimes it's cute. Because little, I remember clearly my mother used to have to like not laugh. Like she would often, like you could see like not trying to not laugh. Okay, so as humans, we sometimes get it right, sometimes not. That's Hashem. Hashem acts with a midah of anger. It's not Hashem's angry. Hashem is acting in that way. In any case, I said to this woman, when you understand these three concepts, that number one, you did nothing to make it worthy for Hashem to create you. The reason Hashem made you is because Hashem is the mate, Hashem is the giver. Number two, Hashem doesn't have a little bit of patience, a lot of it. Hashem isn't limited by patience. And number three, there's nothing you could do to make Hashem angry. When you understand that, you understand that Hashem is the ultimate mate, the ultimate benefiter. Hashem only wants your best. Hashem only wants what's good for you. And therefore, you can be comfortable with Hashem being that close because all that Hashem wants is your betterment. All that Hashem wants what's good for you. And Hashem isn't limited by any human trait, any human definition. Okay, so let's recap and see what it is that we're talking about over here. So again, what the Darach Hashem said to us in this session is that we have to know that Hashem is not dependent on anything. And what that means in plain, simple language is that Hashem, is, Hashem existed before anything existed. And again, let's just go through the steps. Did you exist before? Did you create yourself? And the answer is you could not have created yourself because again, if you existed before you created yourself, you didn't have to create yourself. And if you didn't exist, right, you can't create yourself. Same thing, anything in the world that exists. Anything that exists before... It couldn't have existed before Hashem created it. And therefore Hashem existed before anything that we know. Anything that exists, anything that I see, anything that I relate to, anything that I've ever known, Hashem existed outside of that, before that, not limited by that, and beyond that. Meaning, Hashem has no limitations, no physical limitations, no limitations on His intellect. How smart is Hashem beyond any IQ? How old is Hashem? How big is Hashem? All of those things are not relevant to Hashem because Hashem is not limited. By the way, very importantly, can Hashem be in two places at the same time? Hashem is everywhere. Absolutely not. Right. Hashem just is everywhere. Hashem can't be in two places at the same time. Hashem is every place at the same time. The question is a fallacy, and I don't just mean it in a, you know, to, to be in a semantic sense. In other words, when we ask a question, someone can't be in two places at one time, that means I am a limited human being. I can't be here and there at the same time. But Hashem isn't me. Hashem is everywhere at the same time because Hashem is the place of everything. In any case, again, the reason why this is super relevant is because, number one, the next time you have a problem with Hashem, why are you messing me up? It's time to say, "Uh uh-oh, I get it. Maybe I don't know all the answers. Maybe Hashem is smarter than me. And doesn't that sound 
silly, right? But I'm telling you, we do it all the time. And if you just say to yourself, okay, let me imagine the guy who's blind. But not just blind, he doesn't remember what vision is. And then there's a sighted guy who says, I see things. And ten times in a row, and the sighted guy proved that he was right. Eventually, the guy without vision says, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But this guy has some gift of knowing things, even though I don't even know how he knows it, but he knows it. In that sense, ultimately, you have to sort of relax and let go and let God and know that Hashem knows things, even though I don't know them. And again, the bigger picture issue really is in terms of this last point, and that is that Hashem isn't limited by any human trait. And what that means is, let's say I messed up. Let's say I shouldn't have done something and I did it. I really was wrong, and it was really bad. And, uh, you know, I'm like very embarrassed, and I say, how could I do tshuva? How could I, after what I've done, after what I've said, how could I ever, how could Hashem ever forgive me? How could Hashem ever forgive me? Ladies, what's the answer? You're not going to Come on, you're, you're, how could Hashem forgive you? You're like, you're clean, little guy, please, please, just do it. It's like so... We create, we, we paint Hashem in human traits. Hashem is angry with me, Hashem has tightness against me, Hashem has complaints, Hashem is... No, it, it is true. Well, we say yeah. Yeah. Right. Like and you know why? Because if we don't pay attention, Hashem is going to wake us up. Right. But is Hashem angry? No. Hashem is acting with anger, and I better appease Him, because if I don't figure out how to stop it, the, the stick hurts. But it's not that Hashem is angry, meaning it's the ultimate parent. When the parent really, let's say the parent really, really is, you know, totally together, and is, is punishing the child. It's not the, 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 the parent isn't angry with the child. The, the, the parent isn't vindicative or punitive. Or, I'm going to get you back, you bad infant, you. The, the parent is trying to discipline the child because for the good of the child. So the reason it's important to understand that is because when we attribute human traits to Hashem, and we, we get all confused. We can't do tshuva, and how can Hashem forgive me? How can I talk to Hashem? How could I, you know, um, like... But there are consequences. If people do certain things, they can get titles from eternity. Yep, yep. You could, to allow for free will, and to allow for reward and punishment, Hashem put consequences into the system. And if you drive <coughs> drunk and smash into a light Pole, you're likely going to die um, and res- be responsible for your death um, and that's like a real consequence so I'm not telling you to um, ignore uh, consequences and I'm not telling you to ignore onshim. I am telling you that when you did something really wrong and you wonder can I ever clean this up can I ever do tshuva can I ever do, tshuva? do tshuva just of course you can now it's a difficult process and you really have to do it and you can't make light of it, and you can't just say, oh, Hashem will forgive me, and it's all good, because that's not the way it works, because ultimately Hashem acts in a very real way, and there are rules and there are parameters, but it's not that Hashem is angry, it's that Hashem, you know what I'm saying? It's a very fine balance between understanding din and understanding that Hashem is the avarachamim. Meaning, Hashem may be very, very punitive, act very, very punitive, but Hashem isn't angry. So therefore, I can change the din. Therefore, I can ask Mechila. Therefore, I could, I, could, I could find an opening. I could, I could do tshuva. Do, you know what I mean? 
Because Mesut Shalom explains, tshuva makes no sense. He says very simply, look, <coughs> let's imagine uh, Reuven killed Shimon. Okay. I killed him. Forgive me. Oh, okay. Now what? Now Reuven's alive? He's dead. He's dead as a doornail. You're not bringing him back to life. <coughs> so <coughs> how tshuva works is, listen to the tshuva shmuz, number, I think it's 176, but <coughs> exa- exactly how it works. But the point is that there is a concept of tshuva, even though there are consequences, and even though there are very grave results of actions that you do, nevertheless, it's not that Hashem is angry with you, not that Hashem is mad at you. And, and it's just like when you discipline a child. Let, let's say, you know, you tell the child, um, if you don't do your homework, then you're not, uh, you can't go on the computer tonight. Now, the child will not go on the computer tonight. Does that mean you're angry at the child? Mom, you're so mean, you're angry. I'm not angry at you. It's just uh, to teach you, there have to be consequences, because there aren't consequences, you're not going to learn. So <clears throat> there are very real consequences, and there are real um, results. But again, it doesn't mean that Hashem is angry. And the, the difference is huge, because the difference is A, understanding Hashem, B, understanding the concept of tshuva, understanding the concept of growth, Understanding how um, how we change, how how a person can spend twenty years. There are many many examples in in Chazal where a person spent almost a lifetime doing horrible, horrific things, and the end of his day is the tshuva and is accepted in Gan Eden. And even he is accepted in Gan Eden. How could that be? How could that be? Hashem, aren't you angry? Nuzaradan, Nuzaradan killed close to like a million Jews. In, but not just like Hitler. Hitler didn't kill a million Jews. Hitler <coughs> created a system, a framework that killed six million Jews. Hitler, did, I don't think he killed a single Jew himself with his own hands. There was rather than killed, like bloodthirsty, a murder of incredible proportion. And at the end of the day, he's the tshuva, and he's accepted back, and he has a chalik in Gan Eden. He has grandchildren who apparently became Tumiri Chachamim. How could that be? Hashem, such a Russia, how could it be? Aren't you angry? Don't you want to take vengeance? Don't you want to take revenge? The answer is Hashem runs the world. Every action that happened only happened because Hashem wanted it to happen. He was the puppet. And Hashem isn't angry with him. Nebuch, you're messing yourself up. I feel bad. You're ruining yourself. But if you could stop it at some point and wake up and change, you can undo a lot of the bad that you did. You won't be the same as if you really used your whole life properly, but you can still get a portion in Gan Eden. So, do I know what I'm talking about? Does the same apply to after Chet Eagle or in the Midbar or all of these things that we did that Hashem wanted to destroy us? Okay, so here's, I, I have a very important muscle that that's, you, have to, you have to hear. It's not contradicting what I'm saying now, but, but let me say it, and you may think it is. Imagine a fellow gets drunk, gets behind the wheel of a car, and, um, and is pulled over by the police, stands in front of the judge. So, assuming he's a law-abiding citizen, and assuming it was the first offense, his lawyer may be able to say, Your Honor, he's a fine fellow, it was a one-time occurrence, please strike it from the record. And if the judge is convinced, the judge might just strike it from the record, and there's no criminal offense, no, no stains on his record. Okay, good. That's case one. Case two, same fellow gets behind the wheel of a car drunk, but um, instead of being pulled over by the police, he plows into a telephone pole severs his spine, and is paralyzed from the neck down. He stands in front of the judge. Now the judge may strike it from the record. And the judge may say, I understand that it was a one-time offense, 
uh, and it's fine, and um, it will not be on your record, but the guy is still paralyzed. Meaning, to allow for free will, Hashem allowed the human beings certain liberties. And there are certain things that a human being can do that can literally, could snuff out their neshama, it could paralyze them, it could really damage them in a real way. So Hashem is merciful, and Hashem will forgive you, and it's stru- struck in from the record, but Nebuch, you, you are what you are. You're, you're, in a, you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. So, you know, so you can't take it too, too casually, can't be too cavalier, because again, there are many things that a person can do that can really mess them up for eternity, or certainly in this world. Um, nevertheless, again, even under those circumstances, it's important to recognize that Hashem isn't angry. Not that Hashem is mad, I'm going to take vengeance against you. It's Nebuchadnezzar. I set up the world to allow for reward and punishment. I set up the world with certain kinds of... I wish you didn't do that. I, 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 it kills me that you did it, but, Nebuch, but you did it. I'm sorry. You, you understand the difference? It's, um, um, that's the story. All right? We, um, do I know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, oh. we got questions. Okay, let's go. Questions. Uh, one. Rabbi said, oh, if the person thinks Hashem is angry and the whole cosmos and all the rest of the numbers, they don't remember. And Rabbi said, well, you're not that important. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I thought and one person... It's so Hashem important would've... that Hashem created me because he wants to bestow good on me. Right, exactly. So then Rabbi can't say I'm not important. No, the whole world created right. one person. But you understand what that means? You're more important than you could ever envision or imagine. Bigger than that, bigger than that. But you're not God. So. No, you see the point is you're not a bar plugter. You're not on the same level as God. It, it, it is no, no, true. Not in terms of being on the same level. But then you can't make Hashem important. not important enough to make Hashem angry. See what I mean by I get angry at someone in my league, someone who's a challenge to me, someone who violated my will, someone who has an, an affront, a chutzpah. You, you, that whole concept. It's like. It's so missing the greatness of Hashem. In other words, again, if you were to... So maybe my problem is the word, use of the word important. <sighs> All right, you don't like the word, but it's true. Now, vis-a-vis right. Hashem, vis-a-vis Hashem, you're just not important enough. In other words, yes, you're very important. More than, Hashem would have created the whole world for one... I got that. More, more than we could ever imagine is the value that Hashem places on one single person. Good. At the end of the day, that person is like this big... And Hashem is 13 billion. I mean, so as important as you are, you're not God. And you're not on the same level as Hashem. And you're not exactly like you're threatening God and you're. Is it kind of like that if you're walking down the street and there's a dog barking, you don't get upset at the dog for barking because, you know, what is he saying? And why is he barking at me? Because he's insignificant. Is that, is that a, yeah, is that or, a but I would say more like a worm. Like, a, you know, I'm walking down the street and a worm says, makes something. Oh, what are you saying that to me? What do you mean? What, what do you mean by that wormy? Come here, what, it's gonna, give me a worm dictionary. Quick, what, I forget what he said. Maybe he insulted me, called me a. You know, it's not, we're not, you know. You also want to get angry at something that you care about. You see, but that's, Hashem does care, but you see, you only get angry. You see, anger is a funny emotion. Anger is a lack, is a frustration a lack of control, a, um, when I'm challenged. Um, again, take a mother to... The mother doesn't get angry at the, at the three-month-old. 
The mother could get frustrated, the mother could get upset, the mother could, oh, drap, but the mother, I'm angry at you, infant, why'd you do that? Why'd you spill the... the, 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 the when that two-year-old comes around to you and like smacks you, then you'll get angry. Yeah. But, but like, I mean, obviously it's different, but like there's, you know, you won't get angry at something you don't care about. No, but you, know, you see... Somebody the, else's two-year-old goes over and smacks you, you're not going to be angry. See, that's, uh, that, I don't like that angle because, you see, Hashem does care. She cares more about us than we care about us. No, no, yeah, that I don't agree with. I don't think that's true. As insignificant as we are, Hashem deeply cares. But we're not a challenge to Hashem. How about if we just say not in the same league? I think we're all having difficulty with that word important and insignificant. If I'm not on the if I'm not in the same league then there's no competition there. Right, that's, okay. So maybe, maybe for, for those of us that are soft-hearted. It's not soft-hearted. It, 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 when you understand, in other words, if it's easy to understand that way, fine. But again, the reason I think it's important to focus on these words is because it's only if you're in the same league that you're going to be a threat, you're going to cause anger, you're going to be a... You're not... It's, it's so... Un, misunderstanding the greatness of Hashem to assume that you can get Hashem angry it's like not even a flea, not even a parasite on the flea, not even like a, you know, I'm threatened by there's a little here, oh you're threatening me oh you're going to hurt me like, uh, you know what I'm saying it's like, it's, it's so it's so anthropomorphic it's so silly It's so, yes, questions, thoughts, observations if we're not important why are thoughts important? No, we are very important. Vis-a-vis Hashem, to be a threat to Hashem, to be a challenge to Hashem, to be on the same level of Hashem, we're not that important. So you're right, let's get rid of the word important because it's a bad word. League. We're not in the same league. Is that good? We're not in the big league. If he any, he wouldn't be insulted. Right, exactly. And there's any muscle you're going to use of little league versus big league, minors versus majors, so misses the point. Just understand the entire cosmos, creator of the heavens and the earth, and all that it contains. And I'm a threat. Hashem, we're going to do. Come on, I'm going to get you mad. Like it's it's so it's fallacious. It's just it's false, silly thinking. That's all. Good. Okay, what do we learn? Number one, when you daven, Mashiva Ruach Gashem. What does it mean? Mashiva Ruach Hashem. Mashiva Ruach Hashem. controls everything and everything. So we're going to review last week's the the water cycle, the distillation process, the evaporation, and the transportation, the condensation, the rain, the worms that make right. That's Mashiva Ruach Hashem. Baruch Hashem Elokeinu, our God. What does Elokeinu mean? Baal Hakochos Kulam, the one who created and maintains every particle of physicality, keeps everything in existence, keeps everything every moment, and is so beyond human comprehension and understanding that there is no expressions that we could use. The things we do know is that, number one, Hashem is mukhra hamatziyas, that Hashem didn't just create, but it has to be there keeping it. And number two, that Hashem is independent, not dependent on anything in creation. Before anything existed, Hashem existed. Hashem is, meaning Hashem is boundless, limitless. Hashem is even smarter than Elon Musk. Even smarter than Elon Musk. He's so smart. 
He has $330 billion, my wife told me. He must be very smart. He must be very smart. <clears throat> that was facetious, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was just a joke, sorry. No. Supposed to be about appreciation. That's the Shmuz live tomorrow night. You came to the wrong shear. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, kind of, I get your WhatsApp thing. So yeah, no, so the Derech Hashem Wednesday night and Thursday night is the Shmuz live. But the Shmuz live is said in there to an audience of one me. You know, so where, where, is it, where is it? Let me see it live. You can see it um, on Torah anytime. See it on the on. You can join the Zoom link. Or you can see the recording after. But the easiest, if, you, if, you, if you're on the Shmooz WhatsApp group, if you're not in the Shmooz WhatsApp group, um, go to the Shmooz.com, and on top you'll see a banner to join the Shmooz WhatsApp group. you just got to remember it's spelled funny, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, and on the top you'll see a WhatsApp group. You could click it, and you'll, <clears throat> so you'll become a member, and then you'll get constant updates. You'll get the Zoom links, and you'll get the replay, and you'll, get, uh, you'll be a part of the... Everything happening. If you live in the old-fashioned world, you can join the Shmooz email list. Yes, we still send emails. Yes. Huh? I know. It's like CDs. You know, we're gonna send. I'm gonna send a CD by email to you. What? Club shoes. Club shoes. Club. The community. The Shmooz community. The join the Shmooz WhatsApp community. S-H-M-U-Z, yeah. The Shmuz, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z dot com. And I have to make a plug, because it's starting anytime still alone. The book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Small Couples Make, is coming out Hanukkah and Mitzvah Shem. I saw that, and I saw you started writing now, and what was it, Mishpacha? We'll do anything to market, anything to get that book sold. Anything to get that book sold, huh? Even write in Mishpacha. At least I got my husband to read it now. Does he? Oh, that's impressive. I thought guys don't read that stuff. I, actually, I, we had a letter from a, a guy. I used to read um, Rabbi Taub's thing, but in the army, he's not in the army anymore. So you know, he uh, <laughs> But when the book comes out, you can buy the book, and you don't need the Mishpacha articles anymore. I didn't say that. Mishpacha's great. I love them. Are they legit questions that people send? So many of them are. <laughs> no, many of them, believe it or not, People actually ask the qu- almost word for word. So, like, like sometimes I'm like, "What? Are you you're kidding me? Right? You're joking?" Right? And worse than that, you're asking that by email. By the way, ladies, Shalom bias is if you have a problem, you get on the phone, you make an appointment, you speak. You don't ask Shalom bias questions by email. Please do me a favor. Please, it like it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Meaning, when I talk, listen. If I ask my wife, when a couple comes here, I talk to him for an hour, her for an hour, then him for an hour. After two, three, four hours, I think I have a, some grip about what's going on. Let me ask you the question by email. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but people do send in questions by email. Um, and yeah, so then, then they get into the mishpacha. <laughs> okay. All right, good, good. Thank you. Um, yes. 